Ron and Don. 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 Ron and Don Radio Network, man. Okay, how much do I have to pay you for this? One dollar. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you guys. What is going on? It is Ron Upshaw and Don O'Neill. It's the Ron and Don Show. Episode number 110. Ron Upshaw, live from the shores of South Lake Union in the Les Schwab Studios. And I'm Don O'Neill, socially distancing ourselves live from the studios of Queen Anne Mountain. Coming up on the Ron and Don Show, we are pumped about this. It is launch day in Florida as two best friends get ready to jump in a rocket, a SpaceX rocket, and uh, re-enter space today. Can you believe the shuttle? The last shuttle flight was over nine years ago, and these two astronauts were actually aboard some shuttle flights back in the day. Now they've been rejoined back together on a four-month trip up to the space station, and uh, we'll talk about that here in a moment. Also, it's kind of interesting. I saw my son do something yesterday out of sheer boredom. And it was something that I used to do when I was a kid. And then he turned around on a Zoom call and told my mother last night, and I'm 53 years old, and boy, am I in trouble right now. Oh, boy. With my 77-year-old mother. Uh, before we get to that, let's get to this. It's the story that everyone's talking about. And, Ron, I I say, man, I, I have to say this loosely. I I, I could use the word mentor, Really, there, there's a couple police officers. Uh, they're both African-American. They're in their 20s. Uh, we get together every couple months. We sit down. We have coffee. Uh, I have tried to bring other people into their lives to help them buy homes, understand finances. One has a baby on the way. We read books together. Uh, and we just got done reading a book by Mitch Landrew. It's called In the Shadow of Statues. And it was about taking down the statues in the south, in New Orleans, Louisiana. He was the mayor there. They did this a number of years ago. No contractors there wanted to take down these statues. They're all tied uh, to the war between the north and the south. And when they finally took these statues down in New Orleans, they had to do it in the cover of night with SWAT teams, and they had to hire a team of construction workers, bring them in from Texas because no one in New Orleans would do it because they had death threats. And so I sat down with these uh, young police officers. We read these books. It created conversations. And then yesterday, I heard from one of them. And he said, Don, did you see the tape of my brothers? And I said, what brother? He said, my brothers who are my police officers and my brother, Nolan is African-American, my brother who was on the ground with a knee to the neck. And he said, it was so heartbreaking to see what those four police officers in Minneapolis did. And as a result of that, a young man has passed away this morning. Ron, have you seen the tape? Uh, I wrote something about this on Facebook last night. I'm going to address that in a moment. And also, we have the woman in New York City. She's on her cell phone. And there is a young man, African-American man, that's out taking pictures of birds. Her dog is off-leash. It's in an area of Central Park where you're supposed to have your dog leashed because you're not supposed to uh, chase away the birds. A lot of people go come from all over the world to see these birds and take pictures. This is what he was doing. And all he did is ask her to put her dog on a leash. Well, I tell you what, she wasn't having it. 
Uh, tape was turned on, and boy, did she get mad at him. She's threatened to call the police and set him up and say some things happened that didn't happen, so he'd be arrested. In the meantime, she is choking her dog out, and since then, uh, she was asked to give up her dog, which she did, and she dropped it off uh, at a local kennel, and hopefully that little dog will have a better home. I saw a meme last night, Will Smith online on Facebook, and it said, you know what? It's not that racism uh, that we're seeing more racism today. It's just that it is now being filmed. So more or less, let's not digress. Ron, what's your take on uh, these two stories? Well, obviously, they're fruit of the same tree. One is, has much more grave consequences, the man who lost his life uh, in Minneapolis. And so uh, this one, you would think, is the easiest to diffuse. It, when you see the video, and, and I'll describe it real quickly if you haven't seen it yet, you have a police cruiser that's like an SUV parked in the first lane of the road. And there is a man named George Floyd on the ground, face down uh, on the ground. And there are four police officers sort of securing the scene. They've had time to put latex gloves on. And there's a white officer who literally has his knee in the back of Mr. Floyd's neck. And he is riding his neck and putting weight. You can see him flex his weight uh, onto the back of George Floyd's neck every few seconds. He's sort of doing a flexing motion. And bystanders are recording on their cell phones. So people that are on the sidewalk, they're maybe 10, 15 feet away, are recording this on their cell phone. You can hear George Floyd ask for water. You can hear him say that it, this hurts. You can hear him say he can't breathe. Uh, you hear him pleading with the officer uh, to, uh, you know, basically let his knee off of his neck. Officer never releases the pressure. George Floyd goes unresponsive. And then the police officer still does not remove his knee from his neck. They stay in that position for over eight minutes while paramedics arrive. The bystander said, George Floyd was dead by the time the, the paramedics arrived, and the cops still had his knee uh, on the back of his neck. Um, it is a disturbing video to watch, and I know a lot of people are going to go, well, what, what, did, what did he do? What, why was he on the ground in the first place? Does it matter? Does it matter what he did? Let, let's take the worst-case scenario that you can imagine of a crime happening. The job of the police is to arrest somebody and to let the legal system take over from there, not to kill them on the street. So why they just didn't pick him up and put him into the cruiser that's sitting right there is beyond me. So like there's a, a thousand different procedural things we can do, but the philosophical one I think that you raised is even greater. You have a white police officer killing a black man by choking him out right on broad daylight on the streets of Minneapolis. Yeah. The, the call was for forgery. Uh, they say when they got there that he may have been inebriated. What's interesting, though, is when you see the report that these police officers uh, wrote about the incident, they don't say anything about putting their knee to the back of his neck. And they must have known it at that point that it was on video. They just say that he was inebriated, they secured him. They got him on the ground. 
Uh, they called for medical help. And when medical help got there, he was in some, he was having some type of medical issue. Uh, they don't say, well, one of the medical issues that he was having. So let, let, let's say that he was having a medical issue like a heart attack. Would you put your knee to the back of the neck of someone that was having a heart attack if they were having some kind of medical issue? So we might find out that maybe he was having a medical issue and then it got compounded. And what did they do in the midst of that medical issue? Uh, they did nothing. What's interesting here, most police departments around the country will always say, those cops have rights. Uh, we are going to give them the benefit of the doubt. We don't know what the story was before they arrived. We don't have videotape of that. Uh, we don't know if he was hostile. We don't know if he had a weapon. We now know that the police officers say that they didn't draw weapons. It doesn't sound like he had a weapon. So it wasn't an issue of weapons. But I found this to be extraordinary. Those four police officers were all fired yesterday. They were fired. And you know what you're going to see? You're going to see some of those officers come back and try to get their jobs back. And what we've seen in the past is sometimes they're able to get those jobs back, which is really incredible to me. So, Ron, it seems like a tide has turned here, at least to Minneapolis, because when those white police officers – uh, or at least the one white police officer that I saw did this within 24 hours, they were fired. The thing that's disturbing to me is the people that are videotaping this are talking to this particular police officer. And there's, they are explaining to him that you are killing him. He is dying. Why are you doing this? Why don't you stop? And it's not like they're screaming or yelling or out of control. They are just having a conversation with him, and he is unabashed. He is not reacting to them. He is not responding to them, and he had no problem with what he was doing. The Minneapolis Police Department did. He is no longer a cop there. We'll see if he challenges that. I thought it was pretty extraordinary that the Minneapolis Police Department fired those four officers yesterday. Uh, we haven't seen that a lot, Ron. We always see we're going to let the system take over. These guys are now working at a desk. They're not out on the streets. And then what they do is they try to buy some time where this goes by for a year or two. And then silently they dismiss those officers or the officers get their jobs back. What do you think is different? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. The, the video is so plain. He, maybe he resisted arrest for a moment, but he definitely wasn't resisting resi arrest for the full eight minutes, clearly. Um, what did what was the take from your friend who is a black police officer? Because that has to be gut wrenching. On the one hand, he wears a uniform. On the other hand, he affiliates with the person on the ground because they, you know, share a heritage. What I can't imagine how torn you would be. You know, he 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 told me some things that are very interesting. Uh, and the most interesting thing is is with as a black police officer. And he's a state patrol officer. He said when, when he pulls over African-American people sometimes, he said they are so terrified. And sometimes when he walks up to the car and they see that he's African-American, he said you can see the relief on their face. And sometimes they'll even say something uh, about that. And I think the thing that I don't understand and you don't understand and our friend Ed, Ed Ewing help us understand, who's a local activist here who works with the Major Taylor Project and a lot of kids in your city, is that by the time you're Ed's age, 
It's it's it, and, and Ed is an old gangster, man. He's he's fifty four now. It's not if you've been pulled over once or twice. In fact, since I've lived here in Seattle in the last twenty five years, I've been pulled over twice, uh, and I should have been pulled over. One time I was speeding, and the other time my tags were expired, so I deserved to be pulled over. And I had a very nice exchange with the officer. Neither time I got a warning. Uh, neither time did I get a ticket, and I went on my way. Ed will tell you, he's 54 years old. He doesn't even drive that much because he's this great cyclist. He's on his bike all the time. He said he has been pulled over probably over 100 times. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, and so I think, you know, it's it's one of the reasons why Nolan became a police officer because he, he, he wants to be a part of the answer and he wants to be part of the solution. And what I told him is, hey, you know, you, you have to look at what Dr. King did. Uh, he understood that freedom, justice, equality was part of a process. He did what he could do in his time to move the ball forward. And then that is now passed on to others. I think what's really important here, though, black people have been standing up for black people for a long time. I think what's important is the white people, especially white guys like us, we need to stand up for black people. I'm going to do that next in one minute. It's the Ron and Don Show, only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. When you're ready to sit down with the guys, just reach out by email, ron at windermere.com. Hey, you guys, welcome back to uh, episode 110 of the Ron and Don Show. And we were just talking about... Uh, the four police officers that had been fired in Minneapolis. We were also talking about the young lady who tried to set up an African-American man who was in Central Park, and all he was doing is taking pictures of birds. Uh, her dog was off leash, out of control, chasing the birds away that he's trying to take pictures of. So anyway, he asked her in a very kind way on video to put her dog on a leash, and she threatened to get on the phone. In fact, she picked up her phone. She said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to call the cops. And I'm going to tell them some really bad things about you that aren't true. And I'm going to have you arrested. While she's doing all this, she's choking her dog out, almost kills her dog in the same way that this Minneapolis police officer was choking this young African-American male. I said in the previous segment, I see a lot of black people standing up for black people. I think it's time. I think it's time for white people. And I don't mean just white women. I mean white middle-aged men like me and like Ron to stand up for our African-American brothers. I wrote something on Facebook last night, which really interesting is the way that women and minorities responded to it and the way that white males responded to it. And uh, they responded to it in very different ways. And I'll share that with you here in a moment. Let me just read this. Uh, Ron and I get asked a lot. And this is on my Facebook page at Don O'Neill. We get asked a lot, when are you coming back to radio? And so last night, I wrote my unvarnished answer. I was in radio for 25 years. And the last thing we need is another middle-aged white guy telling you what he thinks. I'm often asked, hey, when are you guys coming back? And you know what? I'm never going back. My whole career, the people in power were white, middle-aged men. Women and minorities were always placed in supporting roles. They were anchors. They were producers. But they never got to sit in those big chairs, making big money, 
given big opinions. I was surrounded, though, by middle-aged white men on air, and every decision-maker in the offices upstairs that controlled the radio stations and the broadcast towers, they were all middle-aged, older white males. And they still are. Nothing's changed. And we know what middle-aged white guys, you know what we think. We have been given lots of airtime. <laughs> hey, after seeing the story of the African-American man killed by being detained by two Minneapolis police officers, and the other story of the white woman in New York who was caught on tape trying to set up the arrest of another African-American male while choking her dog out. I'm not really interested in what another middle-aged white guy has to say about it. And you know I love cops. In fact, I was engaged to a cop years ago. I don't like those cops. You know, it's time for women. It's time for minorities and broadcasting to sit in real chairs, get paid real money, and they need to be able to give their real opinion. And before I was asked to leave my last radio job, I was warned to stop talking about the black kids at Cleveland High School. That is not our demographic, I was told. I was also warned to stop selecting stories about black and brown people. That is not our demographic either. Our listeners don't care. And then I was shown a map of the neighborhoods where our listeners do care. It's where all the middle-aged white guys live, middle-aged white guys like me. I was also told we had too many female listeners for News Talk. Actually, we had the most in the country, and Ron and I are really proud of that. And then who was I replaced by? Another middle-aged white guy. So the station struggled, and now an afternoon drive, yeah. Who do they have? More middle-aged white guys. And the guys there now I actually admire and respect. And since this time, the programmer and the host that replaced us have been replaced. And again, they were middle-aged white guys, replaced by more middle-aged white guys. The guys up in the office, more middle-aged white guys. I love the fact, though, that two minorities were placed behind microphones at our last radio station. That is a start, but I don't commend anyone because it was about damn time. Women and black and brown people are ready for prime time, and they are ready to sit in offices and make big decisions. And in closing, at least we have two presidential candidates that are... Never mind. Love you all. Even all my fellow middle-aged white guys. Ron, your thoughts? Well, at least the candidates aren't middle-aged. <laughs> I am apoplectic after seeing what we saw in Minneapolis, the parks in New York City, that we are in a position now where the powers that be have given us a 73 and a 77-year-old who say they're going to do a push-up competition at their first debate and I don't even know if either of those guys could do a push-up. And, I, and, and in honesty, I don't even know if those two could get their, through their full four-year term. And I'm not trying to be an ageist here, but I am concerned as we hear Joe Biden talk, stick his foot in his mouth all the time. Is that the early onset dementia? Or is that just something that Joe Biden has done his whole career? I don't know, because I don't know him well enough. On the other hand, you have Donald Trump and... Well, we have Donald Trump. So at 73 years young, uh, to say yesterday to people in the press corps 
that had their mask on. He was telling them to take their mask off if they want to ask him a question. If you want to ask me a question, take your mask off, or I'm not going to answer your question. And now, to wear a mask, not to wear a mask, political football. He was asked yesterday about 100,000 Americans dying. More people with the coronavirus, more people dying in the U.S. than anywhere else in the country. In the world. In, in, in the world. In Japan, 850 people died there. Here, 100,000 people. The president congratulated himself yesterday because he said, you know, if it wasn't for him, it could have been a lot more. He's Ron. I'm Don. We'll be back in one minute on the Ron and Don Radio Network. Thanks for listening to the Ron and Don Show. I'm G Force O'Neill, the real brains of this operation. Hey, Dad, can we go get a sandwich? Hey, you guys, episode 110. Before we get out of here today, a couple headlines we want to uh, hit real quick. And of course, uh, don't forget, Ron and Don, we are licensed brokers at Windermere. When you're ready to virtually sit down with us, and we've been doing this a lot, you guys, we'll just do it online. So whether you're buying, selling, investing, or you just have questions right now. My friend Caroline called me yesterday. I'm going to go see her from a social distance, see her property on Sunday. Because she said, hey, I'm thinking about selling up here in Shoreline, but I don't know what my property's worth. So we're going to stop by and figure out what that property's worth. Let's do this. Let's virtually sit down together. All you have to do is go to ronandon.com or just do this, right, Ron? Ron at Windermere, windermere.com. That's Ron at windermere.com. And we'll set up a virtual sit down. It costs absolutely nothing to do it. And we'll send you a Ron and Don camp mug that says you sat down with us. You didn't sit on us. You sat down with us. All right. There that's a different different meeting yeah hey real quick uh i did some reading some headlines about why we had a worldwide shortage of toilet paper and why we continue to have a shortage of toilet paper and why we will consistently probably for the next number of months have a shortage of toilet paper ron do you know what's going on here uh, I mean, obviously, the first wave was everyone freaking out and buying toilet paper. Of all the things you could buy when the pandemic hit that you would need to survive, toilet paper became the gold standard, and I never got that. But you actually came to my rescue. I was down to one roll and couldn't find toilet paper anywhere. You had an extra set or a bag, and you brought it over, so I appreciate that. I was just thinking about that this morning. I was like, hey, it was the nice of Don to bring me some toilet paper because everyone else bought 7,000 rolls of, like, a lifetime supply of toilet paper that's in their garage now. Yeah. They, they say this is what happens, and a lot of this was propelled by Amazon. Amazon does not like to warehouse products for very long. Uh, if they order toilet paper on Tuesday – they want the toilet paper in bulk in their warehouses by Friday. So they have no interest in ordering toilet paper on Tuesday and it's sitting in their warehouse for three weeks because that's not how it works. Uh, so what has happened is toilet paper and toilet paper trees are actually grown in Brazil. I didn't know this. And these specific trees that they use in Brazil to make toilet paper, uh, it takes them about seven years to grow. And so they've been harvesting these trees as quickly as they have. The nation 
at the time we had this toilet paper shortage at all times only has two to three weeks of a toilet paper supply here in the United States ready to go. Because again, those big box stores, they don't want to store stuff. They want to order it. They want to get it. They want to deliver it. So as a result of that, manufacturers, are, they're very, very careful about how much of a supply they create. They say when people found out they would no longer be pooping at work and they'd be doing all this at home, they decided, hey, we need to go out and get more toilet paper. You are, um, how should we put this? You are creating 40 to 60% more waste in your house by being at home. And as a result of that, people actually need more toilet paper. We forget how much toilet paper that we use through the course of the day when you stop by a Walgreens and you're in the pharmacy and you're running to use the bathroom. Ooh, you better hover. That's all I got to say. If you stop by a Chevron station, you're going to use even more toilet paper because you know hovering is not going to work. And so you take two rolls. And I don't know if you've ever done this, Ron. I put both rolls on the seat. I sit on the rolls and then I do my thing that way. I don't even put sheets down. I sit on the actual rolls. Really? I've never, yeah, got, don't get that started because people are going to dump them into the, into the I, bin. I've, got, I, I've gotten older now and I can't, I can't hover like I used to. My hamstrings go out on me. So, so anyway, we're creating a lot of waste. We need more toilet paper. We will continue to have this shortage of toilet paper uh, until there's some kind of reprieve here because toilet paper machines have been operating at a 99.7. And why it's not 100, I don't know. Last night I read it's 99.7% as far as you got got to change the oil and stuff. You think you'd pick, you think you'd kick it up to a hundred. They say in toilet paper factories around the country, uh, they've had to go into even administration offices and bring people in to make uh, the toilet paper. So I hope that wasn't a waste of a story. Uh, We're get out of here. Hey, SpaceX, Boeing, they've been going at it. Uh, Who's going to fly the first real, U.S. astronauts into space. That is happening tonight. Cape Canaveral. Uh, NASA hired Boeing and SpaceX. Boeing will, will fly some astronauts later on this summer. The SpaceX rocket uh, goes up here this afternoon. A couple of these SpaceX rockets, though, have blown up with cargo aboard. These two best friends will jump on this rocket. They became astronauts together back in 2000. Uh, they're both dads. Uh, they were at each other's weddings. And they will be up in space somewhere between a month and four months together. Uh, Ron, this is kind of exciting to see a SpaceX rocket uh, hired by NASA flying through space with two U.S. astronauts aboard. And these guys have been to space before because they're part of the shuttle program. The, the, uh, the amazing thing that I never, ever, ever would have dreamed of growing up, uh, and we were in the space shuttle era, is the privatization of space travel. When you think about the fact that SpaceX is founded by Elon Musk and he took his PayPal money uh, before he made Tesla and he had the dream of space, so he started the SpaceX. Jeff Bezos uh, started Blue Origin, another space exploration um, company to try to do this. And uh, Boeing, who makes sense with Boeing because they do aircraft to go into space, they just had two guys that happened to have a lot of money to say, I want to build a space company. He also had Richard Branson, who wasn't building rockets, uh, but he was building, wanted to take tourists to the edge of space into weightlessness. So you have three billionaires who just like, yeah, I'm going to do that, and, and they get to do it. 
So like that part of the story, I think, is absolutely incredible because we've seen how volatile Elon Musk can be. Like one week he's going to sell all his possessions and name his kid a symbol. The, the next week he's suing the state of California to reopen his Tesla factory. And then the next week he's saying Tesla stock is too high, so the company loses billions of dollars in valuation. He's all over the map. I don't know if I'd want him to be my boss when I'm sitting on a rocket about to send me into space, but the SpaceX company seems one thing he does do is hire great people. And so they have rocket scientists that are in there building these rockets. Um, I don't know what it is about once you reach a certain level of income that all of a sudden you're like, earth's not big enough for me. I need to own space too. It's, Mm. it's very, very, uh, that is a big ego. No, I don't know if it, I think for a lot of those guys, they want to fly into space themselves. Uh, and I also think you start thinking about your legacy. The reason they have rocket scientists is because NASA fired all these rocket scientists 10 years ago after the shuttle program uh, was debunked, debunked. So what has happened here, these private companies have gone out and they have deeper pockets and they hired a lot of these scientists, these astronauts, they've hired them back. And as a result of that, this is actually better for NASA. Because these multi-billionaires are not, ex- not afraid when they blow a rocket up to go back to the drawing board and spend more money. And a lot of times the U.S. government uh, was hampered and they're no longer hampered. So I think it's a pretty cool connection. It's a pretty cool partnership. And uh, I can't wait to see those guys fly tonight. I'm really looking forward to that. So. Hey, before we get out of here, uh, something born out of boredom that I thought was really cool yesterday. Uh, my son and I, we did our schoolwork in the morning, and then uh, I take him by a play yard, and kids there are not allowed to play on the, the playground stuff, but there's a, a group of a couple kids that will meet in the afternoon. They socially distance. They have to. They're on their bikes, and they just kind of ride, ride around the playground. Well, yesterday, they decided to start building ramps. Ooh, Nice. Yeah, so you have these seven, eight, nine, ten-year-olds out there with ramps, and they were jumping. They take old Tonka trucks. They took a bike. They were jumping all kinds of stuff. So I told my son afterwards, uh, and they were pumped. And and again, they wouldn't have built these ramps if it wasn't for sheer boredom. Uh, but they are bored now playing video games, right? Uh, so they're outside. They're looking for something to do. They built these ramps, and I told him, I said, you know, when I grew up, we built ramps too. But we didn't jump old Tonka trucks or bicycles. We jumped each other, right? Mm. So I could jump five kids. You never wanted to be that last kid. There was no, the one I, closest to the ramp. My brother could jump seven kids. Billy Weatherall, we found out, couldn't jump any kids. <laughs> yeah, that's always the risk. And he said three to the hospital. <laughs> Found that out. Yeah. We have these STP patches on our jean jackets. Back then, it just stood for an oil treatment. The Stone Temple Pilots uh, had not been created yet. My dad is a truck driver, so he had STP patches. So we created the STP gang, and we built ramps and jumped each other. And even after we went to the hospital, we continued to do so. Then my son gets on a Zoom call with my mom last night, and he tells her that I used to jump my brother. And boy, did I get in a little bit of trouble 
with Virginia. He's wrong. I'm Don. It's the Ron and Don Show, only on the Ron and Don Radio Network, brought to you by our great friends at Les Schwab. Don't forget, we are licensed brokers at Windermere. When you're ready to sit down, in fact, uh, Ron just helped a buyer buy an amazing home last night. If you want to buy a home right now, you have to compete. You have to have a strategy. Ron is one of the best strategists out there. Okay? Write us. Ron at Windermere.com. Don O'Neill at Windermere.com. Let's come up with a strategy. If you're a buyer, a seller, an investor, or you have some questions right now, or you're just scared. A lot of people are scared right now. And your real estate might be your biggest asset. And you want to talk some stuff through like Caroline did. And that's one of the reasons I'll go up on Sunday. And we'll come up with some kind of value for her property and come up with some kind of strategy. We'd love to be a part of that, you guys. Let's sit down. Run and Don. Episode 110. Head up, shoulders back. We'll see you for 111. Right here, only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. Thanks for listening, you guys. I realize it's not easy. Charlie the dog and I have to listen to these two jokers every day.